0: Most people would rather not be accused of murder, especially ones they didn't commit. However, the good people of Texas are known for doing everything their own way. They say everything's bigger in Texas, even, as it turns out, kill counts. More than one of today's criminals seemingly exaggerated their crimes, taking credit for murders they probably didn't even commit. And of today's top killer Texans, number one may have taken 80 lives. 80. There's a reason the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was set in Texas. There's also a reason there are eight films in that franchise. The horrors found in Texas are anything but small. And the killers in Texas seem desperate to outdo each other. Hey all you weirdos, welcome to the ParCast Original Crime Countdown. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the ParCast research gods. This week we're counting down the top 10 killer Texans. I haven't been to Texas, like actually they're there, I've stopped in the airport. <laughs> that <laughs> so counts. I, I can say I've been there, but I know you've been there and I'm pretty sure you felt Very at home. Yes, I love Texas. (laughs) I went there for a hair show, and it is true what they say. Everything is much bigger in Texas. Yeah, that is definitely proven true. I love it there so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I love about Texas is, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, they have the super amazing horror films that have come out of Texas or just like Texas style. Mm -hmm. The best ones always shy away from like the awesome parts of Texas, and instead, They always focus on like the creepy backwoods kind of Texas tales, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre in one of my favorite ridiculous horror films, (laughs) House of a Thousand Corpses. You do love that movie. I love that movie. It's a great song, but I've actually never seen the movie. I know, I gotta make you watch it. You do. But back to my beloved Texas, (laughs) even though Texas has great people and food and drinks and movies even, we're talking about the darker side of the state. Elena has five gnarly Texas happenings and so do I, but we'll be right there with you learning which the other has.
1: Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in LA. And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is to die for. Search to die for in your podcast app to follow the show. 10.
0: I'll start us off with number 10 pickaxe murderer Carla Faye Tucker. In 1983, Tucker and her then boyfriend, broke into the home of Jerry Lynn Dean, who happened to have a guest that night, and ended up killing them both with a pickaxe. Tucker sparked a debate about death and redemption after becoming a born-again Christian on death row. Carla was on drugs during the break-in and the murders, but she later bragged that hacking their bodies up with a pickaxe gave her just such a sexual thrill. That is a red flag. Red flag <laughs> red alert. flag. What a gal. Yeah. So in 1995, she married her prison minister, hmm. and then she wanted her sentence commuted so she could spend the rest of her life making positive differences in others' lives. That's the next obvious choice. Like, once you've, you know, dismembered someone with a pickaxe, yeah. it's like, All right, let's do good now. I should do better. I I should do better. I gotta revamp my karma. I need to be better. I do. I should do better things. (laughs) Well, death penalty opponents and conservative Christians, they usually tend to support capital punishment, Mm -hmm. but they rallied behind her because she had converted, and the controversy of her execution kind of raised the question of whether a killer can be so rehabilitated on death row that she could be spared execution. I mean, yeah, do you, friends. That's a big old debate. (laughs) Yeah. Ultimately, though, minutes before Carla died, Governor George W. Bush refused the 11th Hour Appeal to block her execution. And then in 1998, Tucker became the first woman in Texas to be executed since the Civil War. I think it was that sexual thrill thing. If she didn't, like, come out and brag about how, like, it felt real, real good to do that, I think she may have had a chance, but... That'll do, yen. Once you admit that, it's like, I'm sorry, we can't go back. Mm-mm. Yeah, you've crossed the line.
1: Nine.
0: At number nine is a man with many nicknames, including the butcher of Elmendorf and the alligator man, Joseph D. Ball. In the 1930s, Ball was a bar owner who often dated his female employees before, uh, getting rid of them. Oh. He's only technically connected to two murders, but some believe he may have killed up to 20 victims. We got a big jump there. Very big variance. (laughs) Two (laughs) to 20. Instead of following his father's family business in cotton, Joseph D. Ball got into bootlegging after coming home from World War I. Okay, another big jump. Yeah, he just goes from one end to the other that's, all the time. That's his brand. It is, it's who he is as a person. Well, he had a very lively saloon, which actually perked up after his barkeep dug a pool out back, and then they just filled that pool with five live alligators. Also, where do you just get five live alligators? And where do you get that idea? Like, you're like, wow. That's like a movie. This is a pretty lively saloon, but you know what would make it livelier? Alligators. If we just dug a pit out back and threw some alligators in it. Let's just get real metal with it. Yeah, let's get super metal. His roadside zoo attracted a ton of attention, obviously. Duh. But there were more vile activities going on that really attracted... Probably not the best kind. What? These activities included catching stray kittens and puppies and flinging them into the alligator pit. Oh, no. Who does that attract? I need to know who was like, guys, we gotta stop at this place. You know what I heard? No. They throw little puppies and kittens to alligators. Sounds fun. Horrific. Like, who are you? The worst. Who are you? You are the worst. Go away, sir. When the deputies tried to take him in for questioning, because they were like, hey, uh, what's going on? Can't doing that. He grabbed the forty five he had hidden and shot himself in the heart. So clearly there was a lot more going on than just alligators. And like, what a way to do it. <laughs> he had to be sure he <laughs> was leaving. Ball's longtime hired man told authorities that Ball had killed his girlfriends, Hazel Brown and Minnie Gotthardt. And led them to their bodies. Oh, that just took a very dark twist. He was like, I'm going to turn real quick. He just flipped on a dime. No other bodies were found besides those two, but rumors encircled that he fed the other mistresses to the alligators. So he was like the OG Carol Baskin, but like he also had Joe Exotic vibes. He did. He had a nice little mesh of, depending on who you ask, he was one of the other. (laughs) I guess so.
1: Eight.
0: Number eight on our list of killer Texans is the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, which brought us the Phantom Killer. I know this one. In 1946, a serial killer attacked eight people with a gun in Texarkana, which rests on the border between Texas and Arkansas. The killing seemed random and the murderer was never caught or identified. I know this one. We did this one at our live show. Not too long ago. Not too long ago. So, you know, but we got to tell everybody else. The victims, I (laughs) I guess, let them in on the secret. The victims included three couples that had been either beaten or shot at Lover's Lane locations. Woof. Really like messing up people's like lovely dates. That's messing with the vibe. It is. The attacks were so savage, the Phantom actually cracked the skull of one victim. Jimmy Hollis. So sad. Oh, Jimmy. Oh, girl. Look at yeah. you. Shockingly, two people did survive the attacks. Do we, do we have their names, Elena? Jimmy and... I think Mary. I think it is Mary. I think Mary. it is Mary, but Jimmy was one of them. Get it, girl. Um, so they survived the attacks, but there were discrepancies in their descriptions of the killer, obviously, because Jimmy had had his skull basically crushed. So sure had. Memory and might I serve differently. He thought it was a white man with no mask, and she thought it was a black man with a white mask. Ah. So very different descriptions. Do you want to tell the story? <laughs> I do, actually. <laughs> Just kidding. So one suspect was the town troublemaker. Duh. Of course. Yuli Swinney who asked the police station if they were going to give him the chair. He's like, whoa, sir. Big jump (laughs) again. Another contender for the phantom killer was H.B. Tennyson. He killed himself when he was 18 and confessed to some of the murders in his suicide note. I mean, pretty good candidate. Pretty good. And then we've seen it. But if you haven't, listeners, you got to see The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Mm -hmm. Such a good flick. It's based on the killings and it screens each year in the town on Halloween. I know. That's so cool that they do that. It is cool.
1: 7.
0: Number seven on our list also remains a mystery, but is just as deadly, the Servant Girl Annihilator. From 1884 to 1885, an unknown murderer attacked and killed eight victims, seven women and one man, with an ax in Austin, Texas. Despite the nickname, only the first three victims actually worked as servants. But, you know, you got to use a crazy nickname. They just like took that and ran with it. Yeah. Even if it doesn't (laughs) actually fit the whole thing, they're like, yeah, 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 most of them don't fit. Yeah. Well, we'll just go with it. Like the Phantom Killer is not actually a phantom. I was literally (laughs) just going to say that. I'm at least assuming. I don't know. I was going to say we just actually don't know. So Austin was considered a safe city until Christmas Eve, 1885. Do you remember it? I remember it so well. So well. I was right there. That's when the body of Susan Hancock was found, with her head split open by an axe. On Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve. That's so sad. Eula Phillips was found dead in the wealthiest neighborhood in the city. Her husband, James, was quickly a suspect, of course. Because the husband husband always did it. (laughs) Always. Well, her unfaithfulness to her husband, James, was laid out in greater detail during James's trial. Well, of course, good. everything's got to get brought up. You know, respect her memory and all. Of course. But his guilty conviction was overturned because the prosecution found no direct evidence that he even knew of Eula's infidelity, which is like, oh no. Oh, whoops. <laughs> like, We're like, sorry that you're mourning right now. Also, she may have cheated on you. I just blew up her spot yeah. after the fact. That's, like, that's a bummer. That's a real bummer. The reason the murders aren't as well known as, like, Jack the Ripper is because he came along three years later and he completely stole the spotlight with, like, (laughs) kidneys and all. Like, Jack the Ripper came and was like, oh, hold my beer. He was like, you thought you did something? Just wait. He was like, hold my fancy vintage drink from the 1800s. IPA. (laughs) Because that's from the 1800s, I assume. Duh. High school teacher Nicole Kryzak wants to prove that Jack the Ripper and the Servant Girl Annihilator are the same person. I don't think so though. I mean, Jack had like a very specific group that he was going after. He certainly did. And I just feel like we wanna lump all these like crazy, like Victorian killers in together. And it's like, no, there were just a lot of crazy people at all times. You know, they all had things to do other than murder. Like that's a lot of murder to be doing. They sure did. (laughs) I mean, you were there, right? I was. Coming in hot at number six (laughs) is Kenneth McDuff, who got the death penalty for killing three teenagers outside of Fort Worth, Texas. But that got changed to life in prison, and in 1989, he was granted parole. Oh. (laughs) He then went on to kill somewhere between six and 11 more victims. Shocking. He was executed in 1998. Wow. What a journey. (laughs) So, let me tell you about it. McDuff was spared at first from execution because the U.S. Supreme Court had just made a decision to strike down the death penalty in 1972. Lucky break McDuff. He gets a few of them. That's what they called him. I, I, you were there <laughs> I again. Was, again. Then in 1989, he was paroled because of overcrowding in the Texas prison system. Always a great reason. <laughs> <It> just let's just <laughs> let some murderers out. Yeah, it's that's not a lot getting a little hot in here. <laughs> His post-parole killing spree earned him yet another conviction, this time for killing two women. So clearly he's not doing any better. I'm shocked that he reoffended. <laughs> Are shocked. you shocked? His offense sparked sweeping reforms concerning the state's parole process. Thank God. Thank goodness. Everyone was like, yeah, maybe we should do this a little differently. Let's look at this one more time. Yeah, let's take a closer peek. One prosecutor in his case described McDuff as the monster who comes out of the dark. Do monsters ever come out of the light, though? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, that's real. Poetic, like nice. I like that hyperbole. It's fun, but maybe we should leave him in the dark. I think that's the whole problem here. I feel like every monster generally starts in the dark. And You're comes reading out. too much into it. I just don't like it. It's like <laughs> he's the monster that gets. So is he every monster? I don't know. Maybe he is every monster. Whatever prosecutor. <laughs> well, either way, he was executed in 1998 after he murdered a pregnant Central Texas store clerk. Oh, the worst. I know. It's reported that McDuff was also a secret informant who helped authorities find missing bodies of three women. You still suck, McDuff. I know. I kind of doubt that he was an informant. He doesn't sound like he would be. He's the worst. What do you think? I think McDuff was like a real D-bag. A real bad guy. And I'm starting to fear what's to come with the top five. I know. I thought that. I really liked Texas. In fact, I like even considered living there at one point. And now I'm like, I'm scared. Now I'm mostly nervous. (laughs) Although these were all from pretty long ago. They were.
1: Hey, listeners, I want to take a quick moment to introduce you to the newest ParCast original on the block. It's called Incredible Feats, and it's a short weekday show hosted by comedian Dan Cummins. Every weekday, Dan shares a true account of physical strength, mental focus, or genuine bizarre behavior, going behind the scenes and into the achievements of world-class athletes like Dean Carnassus, who once ran for nearly 81 hours without stopping, and performance artists like Lucky Diamond Rich, who boasts layers of tattoos in the most unlikely places, and even everyday people thrown into extraordinary circumstances, like Juliana Kopka, who was forced to survive alone in a rainforest for 11 days incredible feats is offbeat entertainment that's sometimes weird sometimes wonderful and always surprising new episodes air daily monday through friday search incredible feats and follow free on spotify or wherever you get your podcasts five
0: Let's jump back in with number 5 on our countdown of killer Texans. In 1980, Carol E. Cole was convicted of 5 murders that he committed in the Dallas area and in Nevada. But before he died by lethal injection in 1985, he confessed to killing many more victims. Uh Uh-oh. He met most of his victims after some heavy drinking at bars, which is when he claims he just felt rage. That's when you're supposed (laughs) to feel like dancing. Yeah, it's like, why why are you getting ragey after drinking? I don't understand. He took that, like, let's rage too literally. He went the other way. It's like, no, you have to look up the definition. There's two. Yeah, urban dictionary (laughs) that, please. (laughs) He kept changing the number of people he claimed to have killed, which to me is like, "weren't weren't red flag." He's lying. Yeah. He once told the psychiatrist that number was thirty-five, but then he scaled it back to like eh, fourteen or fifteen murders. It's also like when they say, "I'm like, who are you trying to impress?" And it's like you're not talking about like number of eggs in your omelet, right? Like you're talking like well, even like, that I'd be like, "Who are you trying to?" But impress? Impress? it's like they say it so casually. Yeah, like it was thirty. You know, it wasn't thirty. It was like 14 or 15. So, you know, whatever. Like, no big deal. Give or take. Those are just human lives. Right? right? No, it's no big so deal messed up. Well, the official number seems to be at lucky 13. Cole confessed that the killings were in revenge of his abusive mother, who forced him to keep her affairs secret from his father. Oh, mama. Not cool and I feel bad for little child him. But not adult him. But adult him, no excuse. Exactly. Sorry. We grow from this. We grow. We grow. He spent his final hours in prison playing cards with the prison chaplain. Oh, obviously. What a way to go. (laughs) He was the first person executed in Nevada since 1979 and the first person to be executed by lethal injection in Nevada. Wow. You know what I just thought of though? I wonder if he won that card game. Oh. Imagine wow. if you lost and then you had to go die. What a thought! Right? What a thought! That's a lot. Wow, that's heavy. I know. Wow, that's weighing. But at least he got those two distinctions of being the first person executed since 1979. There it is, and the first lethal injection. There it is. So, pat on the back for you. He was also the 50th to be executed in the United States since the Supreme Court reinstated the death penalty in 1976. Mm. Lots of feathers in his cap. I was just going to say, a lot of (laughs) distinctions, (laughs) sir. Many. Not any that I would personally like. No, but you know what? That's all you got. Cole agreed to let doctors examine his brain after his execution to see whether there was a physical reason for his murderous rages. And I feel like whenever they do this, they never really find the like concrete, oh, here it is. This is why you were in a murderous rage yeah. at all times. Well, normally it's like a frontal lobe. Yeah. Like some kind of like, like lesion or you hit your head when you were younger Right, it was some kind of issue. But no, we don't know. Huh. Taking the number four spot on our list this week is Angel Macharino Resendez, or the railroad killer since his crimes took place near railways. Very original. Clever. Resendez was linked to 15 murders, but was convicted and executed for only one. Wow. I feel like that's also a running theme here. Yeah. Like they only get convicted or executed for like one murder. Yeah, they're like, I murdered 432 people, but I got convicted of a half of one. Exactly. What? If they killed 432 people, (laughs) they better be at number one. Maybe. Do you know something? I don't. Okay, back to this. The slayings were actually spread out through six states but eight of them did happen in texas lucky texas i know so one of his victims was killed because he believed that they were involved in black magic great reason great reason not at all not at all border patrol deported him after finding him to be undocumented and they brought him to mexico but they didn't realize that he was on the fbi's most wanted list oopsie You're like that's a big old mistake everyone whoops psychiatrists testified that Resendez was schizophrenic and delusional he feared government conspiracies and are you ready he believed he was going to survive his lethal injection wow believe in your dreams and he had a plan and everything okay he said he was going to awaken three days after this execution hmm. because he was half man half angel oh duh okay. yeah and then he was going to help israel fight their enemies in the middle east oh did he did it happen? I don't think so. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> he was re-examined at that point, And they said he had delusions, but he wasn't schizophrenic and he still should be put to death. Oof. And his lawyers argued like, yeah, he's guilty, but the law mandated people that were being executed, they must understand that they're going to die. And it really didn't seem like Angel was fully convinced. Not really. He was coming back. He was. at number three on the countdown is a killer who confessed to about uh 600 murders henry lee lucas oh i know him now several of those confessions were just like outright lies. at least 20 of them have been conclusively disproved he was convicted of 11 murders including those of his mother and a young girlfriend that's just messed up yeah like what's with you dude The confessions he made, which began all the way back in 1983, happened before the rise in DNA testing, and it caused a lot more pain for families because they were being proven false. Right. And then it's like, who actually did this? Yeah. And of course, no family wants to hear like, yeah, I murdered your child or your, you know, family member, but at least it gives some kind of closure. Exactly. And then it just gets ripped out from under them and boom, mystery again. That's even sadder. I bet he loved that too. Yeah, he was maniacal. The worst. Lucas said he killed people of all ages, genders and race across the United States by running them over, stabbing and decapitating them after they were dead. Wow. So he wasn't exclusive about like anything. No, he couldn't commit. No, that's the problem reporters and journalists prove lucas's confession false because geographically he literally could not have been at certain murder scenes he's like actually i wasn't even in texas that day but i still did it he's like you know i killed someone in nevada and they're like well what about this one in massachusetts on the same day and he's like yep did it and they're like it's within 10 minutes of each other and he's like did it caught a red eye what (laughs) what about it you're an idiot henry Lucas claimed at one point a murder in Tyler, Texas, but his employment records show he was actually working on a mushroom farm that day all the way in Pennsylvania. Anything's possible. He's like, you know, I don't know. I put down my mushrooms and I went and murdered someone real quick. Oh, man. The incentive to confess and help police with more crimes than he actually did commit was probably because he was treated better when he talked about it. Yeah, but just talk about the ones that you did, bro. But he's like, you know, I think it's like he started seeing like the more. When he probably got like Dr. Peppers and like pizza while he was talking to them. I think that's exactly what he got. Dr. Peppers and pizza. I think I'm just hungry. I think you are too. (laughs) He was sentenced to death for the 1979 murder of an unidentified woman who was known at the time as orange socks. Oh, that always makes me so sad. That case is very sad. Yeah. And I believe she's known as Orange Socks because she was literally found only wearing orange socks. That's like horrific. But citing lack of evidence apart from his confession, which we gonna take with a grain of salt, his sentence was commuted by Governor George W. Bush in 1998. So Bush was like, no, 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 I'm not gonna (laughs) relinquish your sentence, Carla, because I'm too busy. (laughs) doing this for Mr. Lucas. He's like, Mr. Lucas over here has 600 on him. I'm only giving out one favor per year. Yeah, you got to just pick and choose. Well, DNA testing has helped resolve many of the cases. So luckily we can just be like, shut up, Henry. I got DNA. Get out of here.
1: Science.
0: Henry Lee Lucas isn't number one, and that should startle you. (laughs) I'm startled, (laughs) but you have number one, so... I'm just saying it should still startle you. I mean, I'm startle. Because of what's to come, I'm shooketh. Are you guys ready for what's to come? I don't think you're ready for this countdown. I don't think I am. Two. Our runner-up this week at number two on our countdown of killer Texans is Dean Coral better known as the Candy Man. Corle's <laughs> family owned a candy factory and he was known for handing out treats to local kids. Ooh. Double gross. He committed at least 28 murders between 1970 and 1973 with the help of two teenagers as his accomplices, one of whom ultimately shot and killed the Candyman. Every time I hear Candyman, I think the Candyman can. Every time I hear Candyman, I get super <laughs> nervous and I'm like, shit, is there a mirror nearby? I know, that's the second thing I think of. Oof, Great I get, movie though. Great movie, it's one of the ones that scares me the most. It's scary. Hate it. The bees. Well, Dean Candyman Guy worked for his mother's candy company when he was young and right off the bat was accused of sexual advances toward other young boys. Wow. He then began sexually abusing boys by bribing them with gifts or like money if they didn't say anything. Creep. So, he was just a creep from the start. Most of his victims were residents of the Houston Heights, which at the time was like a working class town. Okay. And at this point in time, serial killer, that term hadn't been coined yet. So, parents are calling in and they're reporting their missing sons, but authorities are like, I don't know what a serial killer is. (laughs) I I think your son just ran away. It's weird that there was a time before serial killer was a term. I know, isn't it? Weird? Isn't it weird when I gotta watch uh, Mindhunter? Oh, Mindhunter, you gotta watch it. Where it's at Jonathan Groff. Back to the candy <laughs> man. So it hadn't been coined yet, and everybody, all the authorities are like, No, your kids are just runaways and we're not going to investigate, which is not cool. Super awesome. He forced his victims to write postcards or notes home to Ugh. their families saying that they were okay. And then at that point, they're like, oh, crap. Like, they are runaways. Yeah. And they're just going to give up and be like, well, what can we do? And what did we do wrong? That's always the most evil thing, too. Because we've heard a couple of killers who have done this, Mm -hmm. like, had them write notes to their families or call their families or stuff. That That is is horrible. A whole nother, like, echelon of evil. That's a different place. It really is. Well, Mr. Candyman paid his (laughs) two teenage accomplices, Elmer Wayne Henley Jr. and David Owen Brooks, $200 for every boy they brought to him, which like at the time, that's like pretty like good amount of money. But like hearing like every boy they brought him. Oh, I know, that's like so messed up. Like it just, is like, whoa. It's disgusting. But it all ended when Henley fatally shot 33-year-old Coral during an attempted rape of a victim on August 8th, 1973. Super awesome, but like a little late. Yes, exactly. A little late It's just to a little too late. It truly is. I could sing anything. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Not good, though. 17-year-old Henley confessed to his role in at least 28 murders, and he led investigators to unmarked graves throughout the Houston area. I mean, again, good job, but like... After 28 murders, it's like, "Hmm." It's like, maybe after, like, none. You had a few chances there to be like, this is not good. Right. Let's stop this. Snap out of it. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 killer Chexans. Coral Eugene Watts. Watts confessed to 11 murders in Texas and one in Michigan. He had been a suspect in 26 other murders, but was convicted of killing two women in Michigan in the 1970s. He died before being sentenced completely, and it's speculated he may have claimed as many as 80 victims. Whoa, that's why he's number one. He targeted women who he thought had evil eyes. So, what makes your eyes evil? Not real sure. Not hungry eyes, evil eyes. Um, my eyes are like so dark. I feel like they are a little evil. Mine kind of look like you have really twilight evil, eyes. So, I feel like I might have been well, in no, trouble here. But you would have been one of the nice vampires because they're not red. But I don't really think Twilight was on his mind in this time, but probably not. <laughs> but cool. <laughs> he received immunity for the 12 killings he confessed to as part of a deal with Texas prosecutors. That deal led to a 60-year sentence for burglary with intent to murder. Whoa. But mandatory release laws lopped, ready, Mm. 35 years off of that 60-year sentence. All these Texans are getting a lot of favors. Like, what is going on? Right? (laughs) Right? What's happening? Watts was due to be released from a Texas prison in May 2006. He had a ton of good behavior credits, and there was no physical evidence linking him to murders that he actually confessed to. So they were like, all right, we're going to let you out. They're like, I know we thought you said you did it, but it's okay. Just go anyway. But like DNA is like, it's not there. DNA is whatever. But he was convicted of the murder of Helen Dutcher in November 2004. And that's what kept him in prison, where he ended up dying of prostate cancer at 53 years old. Oh. Now, if Watts was released, he would have been the first serial killer in U.S. history to be freed from prison according to Michigan authorities. Well, I'm really glad that didn't happen. Super glad that didn't happen. That's a big hooray. That's a very big hooray. This was a very good list. This was a great list. This was a good episode. It's a great one, but you know what? Oh, you don't (laughs) agree with the number one (laughs) spot? Or did they leave something off? We left, I think at least one and a half people off the list. There's a half person? Now, we didn't talk about Robert Ben Rhodes. Oh, good call. That awful truck driver who had like a mobile torture chamber in his back of his truck. Yup. His home base was Houston and he killed two Texans. I mean, a killer Texan. Just saying. We did like a super long deep dive on him on Morbid. It, he is a... Yeah, that episode was messed up. He's a situation. Now, what's the half person? Well, Samuel Little <laughs> Oh, was a recent one and he confessed to 93 murders and there are a bunch of them in Texas. He was on 60 Minutes. He was on 60. So there you go. Did you see that? The only reason I said half is because I'm not sure if he's from Texas, but he did commit a lot of murders in Texas. Ah, so there. So there just go. saying Parcast Research Gods Ooh. got. Gotcha. 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 Got, double gotcha. <laughs> double gotcha. Wow. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Spotify has all your favorite music and podcasts all in one place. They're making it easier to listen to whatever you want to hear for free on your phone, your computer, or smart speaker. And if you can't get enough of creepy crimes, check out our After Crime Countdown podcast playlist on Spotify, where we've handpicked even more episodes about this week's stories that we think you'll enjoy. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And you know what? If you like us, maybe follow our other podcast, Morbid Podcasts. On Instagram, at Morbid Podcast, and on Twitter, at Amorbid Podcast. And in the meantime, keep it weird. Please do. Crime Countdown was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Kevin McAlpine. Produced by John Cohen, Jonathan Ratliff, Maggie Admire, and Kristen Acevedo. Crime Countdown stars Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart.
1: Hey, Parcasters, don't forget to check out the brand new Spotify original from Parcast, Incredible Feats. Join host Dan Cummins as he explores true accounts of weird, wonderful, and all-out wild achievements. New episodes premiere daily Monday through Friday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.